We're continuing the sermon series through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. This is the second in that series, and we uh, will be reading again from chapter 1, the first 17 verses. But let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Our prayer for illumination is printed in the bulletin, and let us pray in spirit and truth as we sing. In the holy and all-powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let us hear the gospel of Jesus Christ from the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Romans. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. To his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
Now, this bold declaration by the Apostle Paul implicitly and really necessarily suggests that perhaps, perhaps, yes, from a worldly or human point of view, there might have been reasons for Paul to have been ashamed of the gospel. And there were, from a human point of view. In fact, Paul tells us in his first letter to the Corinthians that to the Jews, the gospel was a scandalon, a a scandal, a stumbling block, because a crucified Messiah was no Messiah at all. A Messiah killed by the Romans had failed in his mission. A supposed Messiah who had died the shameful death of crucifixion as a piece of human trash... The very idea of that was shameful. Further to the Gentile or Greek way of thinking, the very idea that a a deity would unite himself with humanity and come down and live upon the earth in corruptible flesh and die. Well, the very notion that any deity would do anything like that to the Gentile Greek philosophical mind was mere foolishness, shameful foolishness. In the book of the Acts of the Apostles, we read that when Paul was in Athens and preached the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus, to the Athenian leaders, the philosopher councilman in Athens near the Acropolis on Mars Hill, Paul was mocked. And then when Paul gave his personal testimony to King Agrippa, who was the Jewish puppet king in the family of Herod under Nero, telling him how Jesus had appeared to him from heaven, the Roman governor, Festus, who was also there, cried out, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. We read about that in the book of Acts chapter 26. In other words, Paul was called crazy by the political powers of the day. Let's just put that in in a broader context. What worldly power, prestige, or honor did Paul gain for himself by preaching the gospel? None. It gained for him only the loss of his status in the Jewish community and then imprisonments, beatings, lashings, and stonings. And what worldly power or influence, political, military, economic, did Paul have to support and defend himself as he preached the gospel? None. What did Paul have in the face of the power of the Roman Empire? All he had was the word of the gospel. It was shamed by the unbelieving Jews as scandalous blasphemy. It was shamed by the Gentiles as mere foolishness. But Paul wrote to the Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, what about you and me? You know, don't you, that the dominant forces in our culture, the powers of the empire, who control the major media, academia, the entertainment industry, those who run the propaganda machine of the empire, you know that they are aligned and actively seeking every day to shame you for believing the gospel and to shame you and me into silence 
so that we will not speak the gospel of Jesus Christ in public in the United States of America. And as the sexual immorality revolution continues to gain ascendancy in the empire, we will feel that more and more and more. So you know, don't you, that, that according to the dominant culture of the empire, it is scandalous blasphemy to say that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of the world. How could anyone be so narrow-minded, bigoted, and unsophisticated as that? You know that according to the powers of the empire, it is mere foolishness. It is laughable. It is laughable to believe that anyone needs to be saved from the wrath of God. Ah! Or that salvation, if needed, could come only from surrendering your life to a man who died on a cross 2,000 years ago. Foolishness unscientific, unenlightened, primitive, backwoods, flat-earth religion. Shame. Welcome to the first century Roman Empire in 21st century America. So let's take this theme. Not ashamed of the gospel found in verse 16, and let's look at this broader passage Picking up about verse 3 through 17. We're going to look at it through that lens and see how it helps to bring it all into focus. Now look, we're not going to get all the way through 17 in depth. (laughs) You know that. But if the Lord wills, we'll dig into that later. But last Sunday, we made it almost through the first four verses. We left off at verses 3 and 4 in which... Paul identifies or defines the content of the gospel. And by the way, it may help you to look in your Bible at verse 3, verses 3 and 4. Paul defines the content of the gospel as the gospel concerning his son, the gospel concerning God's son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Now we noted that this brief phrase, listen carefully, his son who was descended from David... In that phrase, we have an affirmation, a declaration of the union of the two natures of Jesus Christ. The union of His divine nature, God's Son, with His human nature, descended from David. And as we emphasized last Sunday, this is the gospel of God. The creator of heaven and earth has done something for us that is beyond our imagination. He has come into the world as a man of flesh and blood. But now let's drill down a little deeper. Verse 3 says that Christ Jesus, God's eternal Son, was descended from David. So that tells us that with regard to his human nature, he had a very specific identity. He was a descendant of King David, which means that with regard to his lineage... Jesus was qualified to be the Messiah of Israel as promised by the prophets of the Old Testament. Born in Bethlehem, for example, a descendant of David. The Messiah was to be a son of David who would sit on the throne of his kingdom forever. And so first of all, Paul is establishing the fact that Jesus was and is the promised Messiah of Israel. Pointing to the fulfillment of prophecy, Jesus being born in the line of David. But Paul is also leading into another point. Jesus was not only descended from David according to the flesh, he was also declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness, the Holy Spirit, by his resurrection from the dead. Now these Two things go together. These two titles or designations of Jesus. One, descended from David according to the flesh. Two, 
the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. These two designations provide a a complementary contrast. They contrast with one another, but they go together perfectly. Watch. Here we go. When Paul says that God's Son was descended from David according to the flesh, he is speaking of the condescension, the coming down from heaven of the eternal Son of God, the humiliation of the Son of God by taking on human flesh and blood and suffering in this world. The Shorter Catechism asks, How was Christ humiliated? Answer, Christ was humiliated by being born as a man and born into a poor family, by being made subject to the law and suffering the miseries of this life, the anger of God and the curse of death on the cross, and by being buried and remaining under the power of death for a time. Now, the Apostle Paul also wrote about the humiliation of the Son of God in his letter to the Philippians, which we often recite as a creed from Philippians 2. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God or was in his very nature equal with God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form, the nature of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, in human nature, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So when... When Paul speaks of God's Son who was descended from David according to the flesh, he is speaking not only of his lineal descent from David, but also of the fact that when the Son of God came into the world, he came in the weakness and fragility and mortality of the flesh of human nature. And he lived his earthly life and ministry in that humility. Now, of course, yes, there were times when the power of his divine nature shone forth very clearly in the working of miracles, the calming of the raging sea by the power of his word, multiplying the loaves and fishes, raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus also revealed his divine glory to Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. But for the most part, Jesus' earthly life was a life of humility and service. He really hungered and thirsted and experienced physical and emotional fatigue. He really did. He welcomed little children. He wept at the grave of his friend. He was kind and merciful to women whom others called trash. And here's really the point, if you think about it. Although Jesus did perform many divine miracles, he never, ever, ever exerted his divine power over those who opposed him. He never, ever exercised his divine power to defend himself from them. The point is that though he was the Son of God on earth, he never used his divine authority and power to conquer his earthly enemies. Now this, of course, was supremely seen in his crucifixion and in the events leading up to it on the night of the Last Supper in the Garden of Gethsemane when the the mob with swords and clubs came to seize Jesus. He said, don't you think that I could appeal to my father and he would at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? You see, Jesus could have called down angels from heaven to annihilate that mob, but he didn't. And when he was on the cross, they mocked him. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, the son of David, the Messiah. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. And you know, he could have come down from the cross, but he didn't. 
It was his love that held him there until it was accomplished. So this you see Jesus in his voluntary humility, voluntary weakness, is Paul's point when he refers to God's son who was descended from David according to the flesh. But in complementary contrast to that, Paul continues in the very next breath by saying that he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Put the two together. Paul's point is that although Jesus, the Son of God, came and lived and died in humility and weakness according to the flesh, he has now been declared the Son of God in power. He is in power. This does not mean that Jesus became the Son of God at his resurrection. As we've noted, he was already the eternal Son of God before he came into the world. But it means that his reign in power as the Christ, his enthronement as king, began after his resurrection from the dead. Jesus' resurrection from the dead was God's divine declaration that the crucified Messiah was the king and judge and savior of the world. Jesus Christ is no longer a humiliated and suffering servant, but the victorious, all-powerful Lord whose name is above every name, who will reign over the nations and whose kingdom will have no end. We see this in various scriptures. For example, after his resurrection, when Jesus met with the apostles to give them the great commission, he said... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Well, there it is. The risen Lord's own declaration that he is the supreme authority of heaven and earth. And it is under his authority and with his authority that the apostles were sent to make disciples of all nations. Well, Paul picks up on that in this passage when he says that his apostleship is to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. And he is doing that under the authority and with the authority of Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the Son of God in power. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, he proclaimed that Jesus had been raised from the dead and was now, quote, exalted at the right hand of God, the position of supreme power and authority. And so Peter declared, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's Peter's way of saying, yes, the Son of God came in humility and weakness and you crucified him, but God raised him from the dead and now he is the Son of God in power the Lord over all. When Paul preached in Athens, he declared to the philosophers, now God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead proves that he is the one whom God has appointed, the Son of God in power to judge all humanity according to his standard of righteousness. Uh, We hear talk these days about being on the right side of history or or not being on the right side of history. (laughs) The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead tells us who's on the right side of history. He is, and history is moving toward that day when he will judge all humanity by his standard of righteousness. And then the question becomes, how then, how then can anyone be saved? Paul answers that question in the letter to the Romans. But here at 1 verse 4, Paul is saying that the definitive shift in history has taken place. 
The Son of God who came in weakness is now the Son of God in power. The Son of God who was crucified is now the Son of God risen from the dead, exalted to the right hand of the Father, to whom has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, who now rules over the nations, who will judge all people according to his righteousness, who has been given the name which is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is Jesus Christ in his glorious exaltation. The Son of God in power. So now let's go back to where we began. Paul, writing to the Christians in Rome, who are living in the shadow of Nero's throne. Now you hear what he's telling them. And we need to hear what the word is telling us today. There is a power in heaven which is far greater than any power on earth. Jesus will be Lord long after Nero He's gone. His kingdom is forever. And now you can understand more clearly why Paul would declare, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the good news of God that the Son of God who was crucified is now the resurrected Son of God in power. And therefore, because it is the gospel of the Son of God in power, the gospel is, as Paul says, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Because the power of the gospel, which is the power of God, is the power revealed in Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And the same is true today. Brothers and sisters in Christ, don't be ashamed of the gospel. But now is the time for us rather to be all the more committed to the spread of the gospel in Washita Parish and around the world. You see, this was Paul's driving concern in his missionary endeavors. As he says in verse 5, that he had received grace, he had received empowerment and apostleship, authority, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name among all the nations. Listen to that. This is a reference to the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is the outworking and fulfillment of God's covenant promise to Abraham that in him all the families, all the peoples of all the nations would be blessed. This is Paul's version of John 3.16. That God so loved the world, Jew and Gentile, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, Jew or Gentile, Believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul's vision was for the evangelization, evangelization of the world for the glory of Christ. This is the reason that he, he longed to go to Rome and preach in Rome where he'd never been and then move on from there to Spain for the evangelization of the world, for the obedience of faith among all the nations for the sake of his name. That obedience of faith is the obedience that flows from faith, out of faith. The obedience to Jesus Christ which produces faith in the obedience to Jesus which faith in Jesus produces. Paul's vision and passion is for people of every nation to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and therefore live in obedience to his word for the sake of his name, for the sake of his glory. Ultimately, his, his vision and his passion is for a world full of people happily bowing the knee, kissing the ring, as it were, of King Jesus, that the earth might be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And Paul was not ashamed of the gospel 
because the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to do what it is intended to do. Save sinners from the curse of sin, the power of death, and the wrath of God. And restore sinners into that beautiful, worshipful fellowship with the true and living God for which we were created. That was true in Paul's day. It is true in our own. Let Paul's declaration be yours and mine. To the glory of his name, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, who in obedience to you and great love for us came into the world as one of us to live for us and to die for us, to rise for us and to reign for us, that we might not perish but be restored reconcile to you and enjoy life everlasting. May your spirit so work in our hearts and renew our minds that we may live more fully and faithfully as people who love the Lord Jesus and offer him the obedience of our lives because of his grace to the glory of your name. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we affirm the faith of the one true church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world. So we say together the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Praise and glory to the Father. Praise and glory to the Son. Praise and glory to the Spirit. Ever three and one in might and one in glory, while unending ages run. The congregation may be seated. It is my joy to invite Janice Powell, Linda Woods, Ann and Robert Williamson, Judy and Fred Bennett and their sons, Bo and Gordon and Will, now to come forward and to affirm their vows of membership. Ann and Robert and Janice and Linda and Judy and Will and Fred and Gordon and Bo. <laughs> have been received have been received into our membership by the church uh, session earlier this morning and we're very thankful for that they now stand before you publicly to affirm these vows of membership and uh, you likewise will vow to them your Christian love and support welcoming them into our church family this is uh, a happy a day for us. And as uh, each of them affirms these vows.
powers of membership, let me invite the members of our congregation to reaffirm these vows silently in your own heart. If you're visiting with us today, uh, you will hear these vows as expressions of basic Christian faith. And the last question has particularly to do with life in the Presbyterian Church. And so Anne and Robert and Janice and Linda and Judy and Will and Fred and Gordon and Bo, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure, without hope in your salvation except in His sovereign mercy? Do you? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you sincerely receive and depend upon Christ alone for your salvation as he is offered in the gospel? Do you? Do you now promise and resolve in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you? Do you promise to serve Christ in his church by participating in the life of this local congregation in its worship of God and ministry to others to the best of your ability. Do you? Do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church and to the spiritual oversight of this church session? And do you promise to promote the unity, purity, and peace of the church? Do you? Will the congregation please stand? To you, the members of Covenant Presbyterian Church, now welcome Ann and Robert, Janice, Linda, Judy, Will, Fred, Gordon, and Bo into your church family. And you promise to them your Christian love, fellowship, prayers, encouragement, and support that together we may all continue to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ into that full spiritual maturity which is in him. Do you? We do. Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for all your mercies, among which is your great mercy, by which you do not leave us to ourselves, but you gather us together and knit us together in the body of Christ. And so... As Ann and Robert and Janice and Linda and Judy and Will and Fred and Gordon and Bo come to be received into our family of faith, we pray, dear Heavenly Father, your blessings upon them and your blessings upon us all as your corporate people here. Grant us grace, O Lord, to love one another fervently from a pure heart. Grant us grace to serve one another to encourage one another, and to build one another up as we maintain the unity of your spirit in the bond of peace, all to the glory of your name, through Christ, our head and our Savior. In his name we pray, amen. amen. Anne and Robert and Janice and Linda and Judy and Will and Fred and Gordon and Bo. We welcome you. We're glad that y'all are members of our church family. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You may be seated. turn your attention with me to the celebrations and concerns of the church. We continue to lift in our prayers, Tensi Tarver, Martha Henry, Alice Bell, and Richard Lewis, who are all recovering from surgery. Please uh, hold them in your prayers. We also extend our Christian sympathy to the uh, family of Addie Humble, to, uh, to Joe and Sylvia, um, on their loss. Uh, please remember the humble family in your prayer as they 
mourn uh, the loss of a mother and a grandmother um, and uh, remember her life with thanksgiving. One more that's not listed here, we give thanks to God for the the marriage of Kenzie and John Givler yesterday here uh, at Covenant. Uh, Please remember them as your prayers, in your prayers as they uh, begin their life together in marriage. Peter instructs us to cast all of our anxieties onto God because he cares for us. Trusting that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and that his ears are open to their prayers, let us approach the throne of God's grace With boldness through Jesus Christ, let us pray together. Great God of love in whose name we labor, we give thanks for the harvest of your redeeming grace. We give you thanks for condescending to us in your son, Jesus Christ, who for us took on flesh and became a servant lived in perfect obedience to you, was tormented and afflicted with pain, and died on a cross that we might have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Through his death and resurrection, we can now face those trials that await us and reach out to others with words of good cheer, trusting that all things are working to the good of those who love you. We give you thanks for the gift of your promised Holy Spirit, the guarantee of our inheritance, who empowers us with gifts to serve your kingdom and continually guides us, inspiring us to greater service on behalf of all your people. Father, we acknowledge that we are frail and prone to weakness, yet you remain faithful in our source of inspiration and strength. As we endeavor to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, you go before us to guide us. You are behind us to protect us. You are above us and below us to sustain us. You are beside us to encourage us. You are within us to empower us and give us your peace. You provide us with faith, courage, and patience to walk the narrow road of righteousness to which you call us. Therefore, we confess anew our commitment to obey more completely, to trust more fully, to honor more faithfully, to praise you more joyfully all of our days. You are God of all of our years in whom we live and move and have our being. Bless us, loving God, as we go forth to labor so that we may proclaim your peace that surpasses all understanding. Amid the strife of this world, help us to be agents of righteousness, sounding the trumpet of judgment, calling for the repentance of sin, emboldening, holding out the promise of the gospel, Amid the suspicion and anger that infects our country, provide us with a winsomeness to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, that all may see our good works and turn to you, our Heavenly Father, to give you all praise and honor. Amid the turmoil that afflicts the cities of this nation, give us courage to confront the causes of hatred and fear and to point to a more excellent way. Give to us resolve that makes us fearless in the face of our adversity our adversaries, and grant that we might feel the burden to be good stewards of this message which has been entrusted to us to deliver to the nations, even as we rest in your sovereign power to save. Make of us broken vessels that we are, to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Give us wisdom and grace to heal the divides that exist within communities and families. Wherever we walk, may we plant seeds of your goodness in the vineyards of your unremitting grace. Garnish our efforts with the flavor of humility that will bring the honor you are due. Keep us from usurping authority in order to build up ourselves and from pride and self that makes a mockery of your mercy. May we be content that our names are inscribed as servants of your heavenly domain. Lead us to boast only in your power, to flourish through faithfulness to Christ's high calling, to triumph in the truth that makes us free. Heavenly Father, there is much pain and brokenness in this world around us, and even here in our church community. Therefore, we lift to your care the concerns of our hearts. We lift to you the young person who desires to live according to your truth in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation, and the parents who seek to raise up their children in your discipline and instruction. 
Provide them with your guidance that they may follow your paths of righteousness and your strength that they may stand firm and persevere in the faith despite every hardship. We lift to you the worker who faces a time of stress and busyness in the workplace or who struggles to balance life between work and family. Grant them an endurance to faithfully persist in their work, wisdom to navigate those stresses with clarity and vision, and courage to find rest in your sovereign care. We lift to you those who wrestle with depression and addiction. Provide them with an overwhelming sense of your presence, a knowledge of an identity which rests solely in you, a desire for you and a hope of things to come that supersedes any earthly desire or vain wish and a strength to persevere through trial and temptation. We ask for your healing mercy for those who suffer physical affliction this day, especially Martha Henry, Alice Bell, Tensi Tarver, and Richard Lewis. As you provide healing, grant Martha and Alice, Tensi and Richard your peace and comfort and relieve their discomfort. We also lift unto your care this day the victims of Hurricane Matthew, we especially pray for those in the Caribbean, and particularly those in Haiti, who have been devastated by this storm. Encourage them and sustain them in these days ahead. Provide them the peace that passes all understanding. As the affected areas grieve the loss of life and possessions, raise up your church to be a mender of broken walls, a provider of hope a refuge where people can come and find shelter in the shadow of your wings. Finally, dear Lord, we give thanks for the marriage of John and Kenzie Givler. We ask that you would bless and keep their marriage, protect them from evil, draw them near to one another, even as you draw them individually and collectively to yourself. May their marriage provide a witness to all those around them of the love you have for your church, the Bride of Christ. And as we pray this for John and Kenzie, we ask that you would wash us, your church and your bride, in your word, in order that we might be presented to you in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, that we might be holy and without blemish. For we pray all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We acknowledge that every good and perfect gift comes from the hand of the Lord. Therefore, as we prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offerings, we encourage you, as you offer the tokens of your lives, to present yourselves as living sacrifices before the Lord.
congregation are encouraged to remain for the congregational meeting, our visitors are welcome to remain with us, but also free to be dismissed. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the Lord Jesus, brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight, that you may do his will to the glory of his name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
We're almost done. If I may, if I may, uh, I'm very sorry to disrupt the fellowship. Will Shirley, it's very good to have you with us today. Will is a son and grandson of Covenant Presbyterian Church family. Jane and Jim are his parents. Will serves as the pastor of First Presbyterian Gulfport, Mississippi. Oh, I'm sorry. Pardon. Pardon. I knew I had that wrong, but I was going to risk it anyway. Um, Westminster Presbyterian EPC in Gulfport, Mississippi. And we're glad to have you with us today. And I think I saw some of your little ones. Oh, very good. Yeah, that's all right. All right. Okay, uh, it's time for us to convene this congregational meeting duly announced. Let us convene with prayer. Lord, we are thankful that you've called us to be your people and that you gather us together in congregational family units to worship you, serve you, and be fed and nurtured by you. And we are thankful that in your providence and in your wisdom, you have appointed offices for your church. And so as we come now to conduct the business of this congregation, we pray your blessing. And we do give thanks for those who have agreed to serve in the offices for which they have been nominated. We seek your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, following the, uh, the actions to elect our new officers, uh, uh, Tom Bullock also will give you an update on some, uh, a brief update on business matters related to the new construction. But I will call Tom, chairman of the nominating committee, uh, now to uh, present to you the slate. Okay, the nominating committee for the uh, ruling elder class of 2019 is submitting Charles Harold, Steve Swander, and Gene King. And for the Office of Deacon, Class 2019, Stuart Gentry, Charles Bean, Carol Smith, and Bobby Lawrence. Uh, and these nominations are being presented as a motion with a second. Correct. And uh, if there's no objection, we will uh, do both uh, elders and deacons in one single vote. If there is no objection, I see no reason to separate that out. You've heard the nominations, you've read them in print in advance, and they come with a second. All in favor, indicate by saying aye. Aye. Any opposed? The vote is unanimous, and we do thank uh, the work of the committee who uh, uh, worked diligently, and we're thankful for this good outcome. And is Tom... Okay, Tom's just going to give us just a, just a quick update on um, money. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this, this is for information purposes, and um, our requirements are that if our church borrows money, that that has to be done by church uh, vote, and it has to be approved by the congregation, but we're not borrowing any money right now. What we did uh, is we had a presentation... <laughs>